Anybody ever heard the word hypocrite? What's the word hypocrite? What's the word hypocrite mean? Exactly. So when you tell people to do something and you do the exact opposite. So, like for me, one day I was sitting in church and I was given a lot of grief because I was using a plastic straw and I wasn't being used a metal straw. And do you know the importance of why you should use an Exactly. I was accused of being a turtle killer. And and I like turtle soup, so I didn't really care. But that's it. Do you notice what I'm holding in my hand? A, a cup and a plastic straw. Now, who does this cup and straw belong to? Please come up here. Please come stand up here. Now, is this yours? Yeah. And did you accuse me of being a turtle killer? Yeah. And why did you accuse me of being a turtle killer? Because you were using a plastic straw. And what are you using? A plastic straw. So what does that make you? A hypocrite. Now, now that you've at least admitted it, you're, you're one step closer to repentance. Because you know what? The, the, re, the straw that I had, I use it each week because I wash it and I use it again and put it in my big cup. I don't just throw mine into the garbage, into the environment. All right? Okay. Do, do you feel convicted? Yeah. Are you going to be repentant? Yeah. Are you remorseful? Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. There you go. All right. Oh. Jameson, where did he go? Somebody, does anybody recognize this wallet? That's mine. You didn't know it's not yours. Whose is it? Who? No, I don't trust you either. There is no money. Patrick? No? Nobody's claiming this? All right, we found this on the stage. Somebody's wallet. Nobody's going to call it today. Oh, it's, it's yours? Yeah, this does look like something you would have. You, you do walk on the dark side. All right. So, yes, my name is Mr. Pitcher. Uh, I'm subbing for Nick as he's writing It's a Small World. And then I think he's going to go hang out with the Seven Dwarfs and stuff like that down at Disney. Uh, so, got a question for each table. And you got to answer it, especially you boys who like to sit there and do nothing. What plant... Would you be and why? If you could choose to be any plant, what plant would you be? So talk amongst your, your, your table of what you would want to be and why. All right, so let's see. Let's see what we got. Girls, somebody give me, what do, you, what do we have over here at this table? Oh, I said cactus. A cactus. And why? Oh, no, no, no. A Venus flytrap. Why would you want to be a Venus flytrap? Because All right, so that's sort of like the little shop of horrors. You can be Seymour. You guys don't know that reference. In the back, what, what plant? All right, that's got some thought to it, being a cactus. What do we got here, somebody? Blueberry bush, nice. All right, yes. 
A redwood tree. Why was that? You do live for a long time. Yep. What do we got at this table? A what? A family tree. Uh, I don't think I've heard of that one. Ah, in the in the back table back here. Come on. Now a sunflower. Now that's surprising. I figured I would have got sunflower from over at one of these tables, but all right. Now, here's a, a hard thing. I know you guys, Andrew, Jeffrey, listen up. I know you guys don't like school, but I'm guessing you probably had biology class. What did you learn from biology class that plants need to grow? What do plants... Raise your hand. Patrick, what do plants need to grow? Sun. Sun. Yes. What's that? Water. Soil. Those are pretty good things. So you got to have sun, water, uh, food, fertilizer, all those different things. Now, what happens if you have too much of one of those things? What happens? Thank you for raising your hand. Lucas, what happens if you have too much of one of those things? They, no, they don't dead. They may die. They may get sick. They may get puny and weak, but they do. Uh, it's not very good for them. They become unhealthy, right? If I ate too much of the, uh, whatever those candy schnicker things that came through here earlier, I would, would start to do that. Now, who's responsible for making sure that plants, the garden, doesn't get too much of one thing or not enough of another thing? What's that? Raise your hand, please. What'd you say? Gardener. That's right. Gardener. All right. So, today, I want to look in, in the book of... Mark, Matthew, Mark, so it's only the second one, we're going to make it pretty easy. So in the book of Mark, uh, Jesus is telling a parable. Who knows what a parable is? Somebody in the back table or over here, girls. What's a parable? We'll see how good your leader's done this year. Hold on, I asked the girls table back here. What's that? Nice, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's deeper than I was thinking, but yes. I was just going to go with a story, but yes. Earthly story, heavenly meaning. Very good. Okay, so who's heard of the parable of the soils? Anybody? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. So in Mark, we're going to look at, and so those of you who have your phones, you can go to the Bible app. This is actually the first time I've actually taught a lesson, message, whatever, how you want to look at it. And I actually had notes in here. But we're going to look at Matthew or Mark chapter 14. For those of you who actually have your Bible, we'll do a quick sword drill. Mark chapter 4, verses 13. All right. Yeah, all right. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Okay, thank you for letting everyone know. Here we go. I'm going to read it for you. Or does somebody else want to read it? Anybody want to come up here and stand and read it? You want to come read it? Come up here and read it. Is this working? Still working? Hey, sound booth guys. Is this working here? Hold on. Testing. No, turn it off. Oh, there you go. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Oh, keep going. Oh. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. 
As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no, no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Nicely done. And since you were brave enough to come up here, stand on the stage next to me and read. You get a game card or whatever that card is. All right. So we got a parable. A parable is what? What did we say? A story. An earthly earthly story with a heavenly thing. And so the people didn't get it, right? Because that's why we got into this next verses where Jesus had to actually explain it to his who? Who did it say? The disciples. They weren't the smartest bunch, and so he had to explain things a little bit to them. So what do we have in, in the story, in the parable? What are our elements? Yes, thank you for raising your hand. Seed. Okay, what's, what did it say the seed was? Anybody remember? Yep. God's Word. Yep. Okay, so we got seed. What else do we got? No, you can't answer two in a row. You answer, or I get to ask your table. Jeffrey Dishler, what else do we got? If you got seed, where does the seed typically go? Soil. Exactly. Great job. So we got seed and we got the soil. What kind of soils do we have? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yep. Rocky soil. Andrew? Thorny soil. Well, come on. We got two left. No, you didn't raise your hand and you already did one. Boys in the back table, all the bumps on the logs. Come on. Somebody give me. There's only two more soils. Normal soil, the good soil. Yep. And you? It's just a hard soil. So Jesus is using an example. The gospel, the seed, lands on hard, rocky soil. Can anything grow there, you think? If I threw some some seed out on the cement, would it grow? No. No. Why not? Because it's hard. It wouldn't get in there. Sometimes you can throw it into the soil that has weeds. And what happens then? Girls, thank you. The weeds take it. And or you could have the rocky soil and it, it, it sprouts up. I have that happen a lot. And then it dies because the sun comes out and all those different things. All right. Does that, that parable sort of make sense? Yes, no, maybe so. I'm, what's that? Yeah, uh, well, see, you're cool like me. All right. So why do we need to grow? Think about that. Why do we need to grow as people and or as Christians? What do you think? Why do we need to grow? Lucas is like answering every question, girls. Come on, you can't let him outdo you all. Yes, Lucas. What's, what, give me an answer. Give me one answer. Yeah. Yeah. So we can share God's word. Yep. What else? Why do we need to grow? Anybody? Come on. Bueller, Bueller, you guys don't get that reference. You guys are all too young. Yes, Mrs. McHale, why do we need to grow? Um, yeah. Um, so that we can, um, like, even, um, so that we can, um, 
Nice. Good job. Yes, ma'am? Yep. Okay. So let's take the spiritual element out. What happens just as you as a person, you as a person, if you didn't grow, what would happen to you? No, I'm not answering you. Yes. You'd stay the same? Yeah, for a little while. Yep. You about to raise your hand? Yeah, but let's, let's not look at it the spiritual side. Let's just look at, it at your physical body. If we went over to the nursery, we walked that long walk over to the preschool area, and we're with all the babies and the toddlers and all that stuff, and if one of the, we took any of those kids and we brought them and we said, we put them here in this room, and they didn't grow, what would happen to them, Jeffrey Pitcher? They would start to be a dwarf, yeah. What would eventually happen to them? They would die, yeah. So you have to grow. It's part of our natural human body. we got to grow. We're like, oh, look, the little baby, he crawls. And then the little baby starts to walk. And then the little baby starts getting into everything. And we're like, oh, stop getting into everything. But that's just part of the normal thing. Same deals with our spiritual walk. We have to grow. You guys are a little bit older than the kids over there. So you know a little bit more spiritual, right? I'm guessing those kids don't know that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. And probably tonight when I share it with the older kids, I'll I'll happily be amazed if they know that one. But you guys grow in your faith, right? You get a little older, you read God's Word, you're like, oh, I didn't realize that. That makes more sense. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Maybe so? Just trying to mimic you because you're cool. All right, now let's see, we, we physically die if we don't grow, uh, we will spiritually die if we're not growing, and so I want to look at my favorite Bible verse. Does anybody know what my favorite Bible verse is besides Jordan Brower sitting in the back room in the sound booth? Jordan, would you like to tell them what my favorite Bible verse is? John 10.10. 10. Do you remember what that verse says? Oh, you're such a good reader. See what happens when you pay attention in class, you can learn to read the screens as opposed to remembering that verse that I pounded into their heads each week when I would teach teacher lessons. But yes, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. All right, so let's look at that verse. Let's break that down. This is like, and I think they use this phrase in English class. Let's diagram the, the, the sentence structure and all that stuff. I didn't know it that well. I'm learning it now as I go on. The thief. Who do you think the thief is? Yes. Satan. Satan. Good job. Figures you would know that because you're a hypocrite and you want to kill the turtles, but you're getting closer. Okay. So he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What do you think the steal might be? What do you think he wants to steal from us? Jeffrey, thank you for raising your hand. He wants to steal Jesus from us? Uh, Andrew, you didn't raise your hand, so that doesn't, I didn't hear that. I'll, I'll go with that. What else, what else would he want to steal? Over here. What do we got, boys, at this table? What's Satan want to steal from us? Our understanding of God? That's a pretty good answer. I had never thought of that one. Derek, what do you think Satan might want to steal from us? Our heart? Yeah. Lucas? Happiness? Peace? Patience? Yes? Ooh, our salvation. That's a good one, too. Yep. 
our relationship with God. These are all things Satan wants to steal from us. He wants to take those things from us. Does that make sense? That's why we talk about it's a spiritual battle. He's trying to pull us away from God, trying to, using a plant illustration, he's trying to chop off our roots so that we can't grow spiritually, can't know God. Still kill. Okay, what do you think kill may be? Yes, Jeffrey. Our hearts, yeah. May try to kill our hearts, yeah. Spirit, what do you think? Girls in the back, come on, make your teacher look good. Pressure's on her. Your joy, yes. I would say the, the kill may be just to kill our bodies, to make us feel worthless, the, all the lies, the stuff that takes place. He may try to physically kill us, to try to do things uh, so that we can't grow. So he's going to try to steal, kill, and destroy. Now to destroy, what do you think that may be? This may be a little trickier one. Yep. Demons? Yeah, maybe. Anything else? I'm, I'm going to go with, with the destroy. I'm going to say that that's the soul. Now here's where it gets a little tricky and a little spiritual. Satan can't, if you're a Christian, if you've asked Christ into your life and said, I'm sinful, I'm a hypocrite, I kill turtles, I want to repent and turn in my ways, Jesus come into my life and change me, that, that takes place. Does that make sense? He cannot destroy your soul. But if I'm over here and I've never done that, I come to church and I sort of play the game and my parents make me come, so I come, but I've never really asked Jesus in my life. There's no repentance. His ultimate goal is really to destroy your soul before you can make that commitment to Jesus. Because if he does that, then he sort of game over, he wins. Does that make sense? Yes? No? All right. So as we keep going, so Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, but my purpose, who's the my? Who? God, Jesus. My purpose is to what? Nice. You learned to read too. See? You taught her. Good job, Mr. Brower. She's learned from you. She can read the screen. She wants to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, the question is, how many of you guys are living a rich and satisfying life? Not riches in money and all that stuff, but rich and satisfying life. Yep. Oh, did you raise your hand? You changed your mind. Are you not? What, what part where, where were you going to say? Yeah. Uh-huh. So you are or you aren't? You are? Okay. That's fine. There's no right or wrong answer. I just want, we're trying to, to help you see that a lot of times the Bible tells us where we're, we're supposed to go, right? He wants us to have a rich and satisfying life. But many times we're not living it, right? We don't experience it. We have to go to school. We got mean parents who make us clean our room, eat our food, don't let us do all the things that we want, and we have such a miserable life, yada, yada, yada. Is that true? Yeah. That doesn't sound like the rich and satisfying life, does it? No. So how does that take place? How do we put those things together? Um, let's look at the next slide, if the guys in the back are paying attention. Uh, and it's going to be Second Peter 2 through 4. Uh, somebody want to try to read that one? Lucas, you want to try to read it? You, 
You can read it on the screen if you can read it. But you've got to read it loud. Okay, hold on right there. So what does that mean? Anybody? Yep. Okay. Anything else? What's the second, third word there? Give. God's going to give you. Give you something. Do you guys like to get stuff? If I gave you a present, if I gave you a metal straw, would you like to receive that? Yes! Who doesn't want to receive gifts? All right. So God wants to give us something. He wants, what is it that He wants to give us? What's He want to give us? Grace. And what else? Peace. Those are big churchy words, but there's something that we really want. If we, we want to have that peace, because that's sort of happiness and stuff like that. And where do we get that from? Where do we get it from? Yep. Yep. By believing. And he gives it to us as we grow in our what? We got to grow in knowledge. I got to know stuff. How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Let's see what it says keeps going on. Go, keep going, Lucas. Read verse 3. Okay. Nice. And keep going. Nice. So what is that telling us? Somebody share. What do they think? Uh, somebody other than him. Yes. He's given us everything we need. How do we know that? Because it says it right there. It's from the Bible. So if I read the Bible, what am I going to learn? I'm going to learn stuff about God. Okay. I'm going to learn knowledge. All right. What else are we going to learn? Anything else? What do you think, Derek? What else are we going to learn from that verse? Yep. What's that in verse 4? The blah, blah, blah. He has given us great and precious what? What's a promise? Nice. Andrew, what did you say without raising your hand? An oath. Do you think God is going to lie? And if God makes us a promise, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to keep it. So what is he promising as we read these verses? Girls in the back table, what do you think? Oh, you know what? You guys, nah, I'm, you guys are good. Well, let's go with this table. Come on. What's God going to give us? A way out? Yeah. What do you think? Anything else? Man, this is crazy when Lucas is answering all the questions. He's going to give us more grace. He's going to give us more knowledge. He's going to give us all these things. And how do we get that? By what? Growing. We have to grow. Is that right? So, 
I don't, let's see, go to the next slide. Let's see. It's like, okay, yeah. So I can actually read this one because my, I don't have my glasses in and the font's big enough. The more you like, the more and you will be in your of. All right. So what do we get from that? What do we get from that verse? Yes. And how do we grow? So that's the big question of this lesson. That's the big question of the series. How do we grow? How do we grow? Okay. By reading the Bible. All right. So, um, so why don't you think we do this? Or why do you think? Why don't we really understand and trust and know God? Why do you think that is? Because we don't read the Bible? Yeah? Yes? Because we can't see Him in person? That's a good one. I didn't think of that one. Boys in the background table, what do you think? You know I'm going to ask you guys. I like to call out questions. So what do you think? What do you think, Mr. Barr? You got a voice. Come on. So anyone you want to help him out at that table? This is, the pro- this is the problem. If I know your name sometimes, then I might call you out. Well, let's look at this. Uh, we don't really know God. We don't really understand. And we don't really trust. Do you think those are three terms that are pretty fair and accurate? We don't know Him. Uh, know who He is. We don't know His love, His compassion, His justice, uh, what He can do for us. We may have heard the big churchy words, uh, and hopefully I pronounce them right, uh, omnipotent, omnipresence. Those are things that we don't really know about God, but if we know what they mean, it changes our reality of things. Uh, We don't understand who He is. How many do you know that we are adopted, an adopted child of God, and that we have spiritual resources? As a child of God... We have been adopted into his family, right? Does that make sense? So imagine this. I am the king. I am the king. I have a vast empire, right? Makes sense? If I'm a king, I have lots of power, right? And all the wealth and all that good stuff. Just imagine the medieval court, King Arthur and all that stuff. And then I make a decision I want to adopt. I'm going to adopt you. Come up, stand up next to me. Come on. My wife always wanted a girl, so now we got the little princess in the family that, instead of the two jokers. Okay. <clears throat> so, I have adopted you, right? Yeah. So what does that make you? You makes you my daughter. And if you're my daughter, what does that entitle you to? Yeah, it entitles you to me. What else might it entitle her? Yeah, we got them. Yes, Patrick? What's that? Yes, she is a princess. We know that. I'm going to get her little cone head with a little tassel and things like that and a little flowery dress. But as the princess, she now has rule over the kingdom, right? She has rule over, she has the resources, as Kenley was saying, show me the money. So as the king, she has access to my money. She has access to a lot of things, right? Because she's now been adopted. She used to be a peasant girl. She used to sit at the table with the hypocrites 
and the turtle killers. And she was just a lowly little person. But she's now been adopted, and now she's my princess, and she gets the king to the... Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, you can have a seat. I don't want you to make you any more awkward as it is. So, stop it. As, as an adopted child, back in my day, in the day of some of your leaders, we used to watch this show on TV called The Beverly Hillbillies. All right. So when you go home today, when you go home today, you can turn on Me TV, and it's probably not on there, but you could Google it and do Beverly Hillbillies. And if I would have been really prepared and had faith in the sound booth, guys, I might have had the clip of it. But the Beverly Hillbillies was some hillbillies. They lived out in the country, not making fun of people who live in the country. But Uncle Jed, he raised his gun to shoot his dinner, and instead he shot the ground. And do you know what came out of the ground? Gold. Liquid gold. Oil. He had been this poor country, outdoors, woods person, eating possums and whatever they could eat. And the whole time, they had been living on millions and millions of dollars. But they never knew it because it was in the ground and they didn't know. But once they found it, then they were like, oh, we got money, and now we can go to live in Beverly Hills and live in the cement swimming pond and all that good stuff that you guys don't get. The point of that illustration is, as children of God, when we've asked Jesus into our life, when we've repented, we've turned of our wicked ways, and we start walking towards God, we are now entitled to all those same resources that God has used to raise Christ from the dead, same resources the, the apostles had of knowledge and words and all those different things. Uh, trust. We don't take steps of faith and really live the life that's fully satisfying. Is that correct? Do you think that's true? We don't really trust God that He's going to be with me to give me the words to speak to my friends. Uh, I'm not going to take a step out of my comfort zone and invite somebody to church because that could be awkward or that could be weird. So I don't trust God to take care of that. But once I start to do that, once I start to take that step of faith, I begin to say, oh, that wasn't so hard. They actually came, or, or even if they didn't come. Uh, it's sort of like, do you think Mr. Brower would just decide one day, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go run the Flying Pig Marathon and show up the day of the start race and just start running it? Do you think he would do it? I don't think he would do it. But if he did do it, do you think he'd be very successful? No. You, you got to train. you got to take baby steps. You just don't say, oh, I'm going to go run a marathon today and go outside and run a marathon. you got to train and get in shape and extend your... And that's sort of the way it is with our faith. As we read our Bible, God shows us, he gives us knowledge, and we take a step of faith. And we're like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to invite so-and-so to come to the mini retreat or to come to the, uh, the last harvest party or the next event we have. And that's a little step of faith. And sometimes they come, sometimes they don't, but we're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. It wasn't so hard. So I vet, I'm a coach. I invite some of my teammates and they come to church with me. The next time I might take another bigger step and invite somebody else or do something else. And as I keep taking those steps, I keep growing in my faith and I start living that abundant life that Jesus talked about. Does that make sense? Andrew, does that make sense? Okay, please stop playing with the paper. Uh, so 
This last year, I've been reading a book uh, called Our God is Awesome. It's by Tony Evans. And it's all about learning about who God is and his attributes. And so the more I learn about him, the easier it is for me to trust him, to understand him, and to live for him. And so that's the whole purpose of how and why Nick has been taking you guys through this series of reading the Bible, why it's so important. So I know I'm already going long. Your teachers may actually appreciate that because that's less time they got to be with you in the rooms. But let's watch this short little video uh, and see what it says. Yep, so pay attention, turn and watch a screen. Like narrative, poetry, and prose. And most of us are familiar with these kinds of literature. Yeah, we all know a narrative when we see one, like The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. And most people can recognize poetry, whether it's Walt Whitman or the songs of Bob Dylan. And every day we're surrounded by prose and news articles or essays. Now, all of these examples are modern American literature in that they came from this time period and this region of the world. But there's also medieval English literature from another place in time or ancient Greek writings from this place in time. So each time period and culture produces its own unique kind of literature. And in order to read the Bible well, we need to keep in mind that it comes from this part of the world and was produced in this basic period of time. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Can you well, pause that a key right there feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in ah, stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the Garden. Where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are in Intentional. Intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue to pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then in the book of Revelation, there's this symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay. Meditation literature. 
Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself and then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. So this ancient Jewish writing style, it must create unique types of narrative and poetry and discourse. Yes, and we'll explore all of those literary styles starting next with biblical narrative. Hi. So I forgot to set up the, the, the video with is the Bible hard to read sometimes? Does it get confusing to read sometimes? Yeah, it does. And so what the video is trying to show us is that there's different styles of writing. Some people like the war stories and the kings and the history, while others may like the little poetry and the history, wisdom and things like that. And so learning as we read the Bible, we have to know what we're reading. And so this video comes from the Bible Project. Com. It's a little website, and you can watch different series. This was number four, Jeffrey, in, in a series of, of eight videos that they have to help you understand how to read the Bible. And you may say, well, that's sort of weird, uh, yet I sort of want that because I don't understand the Bible, and I want to know how to read it better so that I can know God better. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Not in those heads? All right. So in... The Bible in the book of Hebrews, I don't know if this is on a slide or not, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, oh, it is, for the word of God, word being the Bible, is alive and powerful. That's sort of weird, isn't it? It's alive. It's God's, it's words. How can that be alive? It's alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts. And so in this version... Uh, It's living and active so that every time that I read it, I see something new and different that I've not seen before or understood. Sometimes it's based upon my maturity and my circumstances in life or even the mood I'm in. Sometimes you guys wake up and you're in a grumpy mood. I'm guessing you've never woke up, Miss Gorthel, and you're in a grumpy mood, right? No, you're always happy and bubbly, especially at least now that your brother's gone and now you've got the house to yourself. But sometimes we, we wake up And we're in a good mood, sometimes we're in a bad mood. If we try to read the Bible, we're going to sort of read it through that lens of our moods. But So each year, I read through the Bible, from Genesis all the way to to Revelation. That's right. And the Bible app has the different plans. It helps me do that. And each time I read it, I'm like, I never, sometimes there's verses and things. I'm like, I never saw that before. And then I'm like, well, how did I never see that before? I just read the Bible last year and the year before that. But as... It says it's new, it's active, it's living, and so we see new things even though we read the same thing over. Does that make sense? That's why we keep reading the Bible. Yes, when you guys were on the other side of the hall, you had the same five or six stories. You had David and Goliath, and you had these different little stories. Now that you're older, you're getting more mature, you read the Bible, and it's going to speak to you. And just like the video said, We want to allow it to begin to transform us. Does that make sense? So I've went way over time. I'm going to get fired 
from Nick, and he's probably never going to let me come do this again because I used too much time. But as a former life group leader, I always love it when the leaders go or the speaker goes long because then it's less time I got to deal with knuckleheads in the room. There's pros and the cons of that. So as you guys go back to your classrooms, I do not have a set specific questions for you. What I do want you to think about and to talk about in your small groups is what's something besides being a hypocrite that you learned today that you can apply to your Bible reading? What's something that you learned, thought of like, huh, I never thought of that, or I'd like to watch more of those videos to help me understand the differences between the Bible. Does that make sense? All right. You guys, are, let me close this in prayer, and, oh, and then I'll send you on your way. Oh, one last thing before I forget. I have it on here. When I go to open my Bible and I go to read it, I ask God, reveal something to me today that I don't know about you. Because as I do that, what did we say about promises? Does God fulfill them? Yes. And does God say that he's going to give us knowledge and wisdom and understanding? Yes. And so if I'm asking him for those things, do you think he's going to give it to me? Yes. So if I say, God, help me to learn and understand your word today, he's going to show me something. I may learn it right then, or I might come to me later that day when I'm sitting in something and it comes to prompt me. But save that question for your group leader, okay? Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word and how it is alive and active and powerful. Help us to want to read it to understand you better and how you want to interact in our lives. Uh, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, classes.